0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I, as always, am Lou DiPietro. To my left, Doug Williams. We are the proverbial, the eponymous, the insert adjective here, Yes Men, and we're back for another edition. And hot off the presses, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Yankees are spending like it's 2008 all over again.
1: Yeah, yesterday they were cheap. Now they're bold and— Extravagant. And and, and they pay way too much. I'm I'm just quoting what I hear on Twitter. Right,
0: those are just quotes, but— Not thoughts. Brian McCann will be introduced— not mine. Yes, Brian McCann will be introduced on Thursday at Yankee Stadium, and late last night word broke that Jacoby Ellsbury is apparently on his way to pinstripes, and that is official now. From what I've read, Jacoby Ellsbury will be the center fielder of the New York Yankees for the next seven, possibly eight years, to the tune of 150 to $170
1: million, depending on the option. Lou, there's a lot to talk about here. It's a hugely important move, and, and I'm not even getting into yet. We can get into whether we like it or not or we think they overpaid or not, but mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about this for a second. They get Jacoby Ellsbury, who takes Brett Gardner's job in center field. Even despite, you know, whether or not Brett Gardner leaves or stays or what, he'll be playing left field. Right. So you have Jacoby in center. You move Soriano to right, I would guess. And then you put Gardner back to left. Now, basically what this does is it, it, it changes Brett Gardner's position on this team not only to left field, but as a trade chip. I mean, it's possible that they'll keep him, and it's possible that part of the reason they got Jacoby Ellsbury was to create this left side of the outfield that you, you can't eh. – no balls are going to drop.
0: Yeah, that, that has more range than potentially any
1: yeah. center-left field so combination two, in two history. Two the fastest
0: players in, in the yeah. American League. Four, four stolen base titles in the last six years between them. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of speed on the base pass and in the outfield.
1: So what my first thought was, and I actually haven't really talked to you too much about this today because, you know, we've been doing a bunch of things. But my first thought was this is the first domino to fall in a series of of events that's going to happen this offseason for the Yankees. And, and I, I read somewhere that there's a chance, I guess, they might consider shipping Brett Gardner to Cincinnati for Brandon Phillips. Letting Cano go, making that trade, and they just let go of Ryan Hannigan. Maybe they're looking for a catcher who can play now. They send J.R. Murphy, Murphy Brett Gardner, bring back Brandon Phillips, let the money of Cano off your books entirely. It seems like Jacoby Ellsbury's signing is so such a shocker, I would say, that it must be for some reason that they chose him over Beltron and they chose him over Chu.
0: Well Beltran, I mean there's the rumors that he wanted to go to a three year 48 million dollar deal. Maybe it was Kansas City, maybe it's Seattle, maybe it's someone else, maybe he's signed. Um, Chu, you know high OBP guy, kind of a stat filler in every category so to speak, but nothing really like spectacular in terms of one huge asset. Um, you know that, that situation you, you present with maybe Gardner, maybe Murphy and maybe some other prospect going to the Reds for Phillips for some salary relief. I mean, you know, the Yankees still have Ichiro and Vernon Wells under one-year contract that could platoon in right field if that were the case. Gardner is in his last year of arbitration, and then he's going to be a free agent, so you never know if he was going to stay, stick around, whatever, after next year anyway.
2: Right.
1: And the the, the funny thing is he's a similar player to Ellsbury. So Gardner's going to leave after next season, become a free agent, and he's going to say – why shouldn't I make Ellsbury money?
0: Gardner's never had that one big season that Ellsbury had a couple years ago, where he hit what is it, three twenty with thirty home runs at a hundred. Right. RBIs. But as
1: much as I think that that helps Ellsbury's case, I also think mm. it's looked at as kind of an anomaly because he's never had a season even close to it.
0: Gardner, I believe, is also like technically slightly older than like I mean, they're basically the same age. But um, you know, yeah, he's never had that. He he hit very well last season, and that was kind of his breakout year. But it's going to be interesting to see now what Brett Gardner does get. But I mean in that scenario you look at, it. if you have Teixeira, Phillips, Jeter, let's say A-Rod somehow gets out of being suspended all year or at all. You have those four on your infield. Maybe Kelly Johnson to serve as a you know, part-time throw him out in left field every once in a while, put him at second base to get a DH day kind of thing You know, going on. You have Brendan Ryan there as insurance. Nunez could be part of that package you know, if they send something to Cincinnati because he sort of seems like he's played his way out of favor and become expendable at this point.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a pretty
0: pretty solid one through nine lineup. And you've still got a few guys percolating. You've got Austin Romine or Murphy or one of those catchers in the minors if something happens to McCann or Cervelli if he's the backup. You've got Zoilo Almonte if something happens, if Ichiro and Wells just aren't cutting it, you can kind of bring him up, let him bide his time. You've got guys – it's a very interesting winter already, and it's only, what, December 4th? I mean, this is going to be, like I said, it's like it's 2008 all over again. Here came CC, here came Tex, here came A.J. Burnett, and here came a World Series trophy about 10 months later.
1: And just to bring everyone back down to earth, and remember, Lou and I are as big of, of Yankee fans as it gets, but here's the problem here. They don't have three starting pitchers that they know of. They don't have anyone they can trust. They've got, got one and a hand. half. Right. Maybe. Right now, if they had to field a rotation, it would consist of Nova, Sabathia, Pineda, Pineda, David Phelps, and Vidal Nuno. Maybe Adam Warren. Yeah, so it's a combination of those six. Now, the Yankees have said that they want 400 innings this offseason. No matter what, they are not done spending. Now, this is a very similar offseason to when they missed the playoffs in 2008. Mm Mm-hmm. And they then decided, we need to spend some money while being responsible. Mm -hmm. We have the money to spend. Why not spend it and make the playoffs next year? And and in the 2009 case, they won the World Series. They want Tanaka. They want one more starter. I'm not sure who it's going to be. It could be a Matt Garza. Could be Kuroda again. Yes. They would love to have Kuroda back. That way they can sign Kuroda, focus on Tanaka, then you've got your starting rotation under control. That, to me, right now, especially after signing McCann and Ellsbury, is the priority. I would rather them wait and not even do anything with Gardner now. Don't even pay attention to anything offensive-related. They got Kelly Johnson. I know that I I really think that they're going to want to sign a Mark Reynolds type. Absolutely. Somebody, you know, I mentioned
0: what happens with A-Rod. Nobody knows, and nobody's going to know for a a few weeks to a month what's going to happen with him, but... You know, when even if a ride is the a ride of last year, you're going to miss a 260 average in 20 25 home runs out of that third base spot right. minimum. Can Mark Reynolds do that? Maybe. Can Kelly Johnson do that as part of a platoon? He did hit 16 the last two years. So, you know, who knows? But one thing it signals too is that they're not going to wait. You know, the posting situation with Tanaka is kind of iffy. MLB and Japan are kind of working things out. They're not going to wait. That fish is going to be there or it's not, and they're not going to know if it's going to be there until a certain time. So they're not going to wait and say, well, we're saving our money maybe for Tanaka because we really, really need want him. They're going out and getting what they need. And, you know, maybe with a, with a juggernaut offense like that, with McCann to a back, Derek Jeter back to 2011, 2012 kind of stature. Soriano had a monster second half in New York. If he can put that together, even even if he does what he did in the second half, all year next year, that's still a pretty good, you know, pretty good offensive chunk of production. Ellsbury, if he has another year closer to that two thousand and eleven year where he was amazing. Maybe this is the year where your three, four, five starters can be some of those young guys. Phelps has shown flashes. Nuno showed flashes. You know, they have Manny Banuelos is coming back from Tommy John. Maybe if he's dominant early on in triple A, you never know if he gets a call, what happens. Maybe this is the year where they can let it ride a little bit and go back. Maybe sign one of those back-of-the-rotation kind of guys, maybe Kuroda again, and and kind of let it ride.
1: It's hard because, you know, if you were to write down a projected Yankee lineup for next season, there are so many ifs that you almost feel wrong to write it on paper. What the Yankees are doing now, to me, is going to be adding as many pieces as possible on offense so that worst-case scenario isn't even that bad. So if Arod doesn't come back, if Teixeira's injury has totally limited him offensively, if, I don't know, let's say Soriano is back to the way he was with the Cubs, kind of back to his last years in the pros, he's not the hitter he was last year. Sort of average, right. above average maybe? Yeah. So if these guys aren't as good as they possibly can be, if Jeter's ankle is kind of not working correctly – then they have all the pieces in place to still be competent offensively. They have Brendan Ryan. Kelly Johnson can play left field. He could probably play third. He could play second. These are these are smart signings. I think Mark Reynolds would be another one that I think would make a lot of sense. But the the bottom line is they're not going to be a 100-win ball club unless they get two more pitchers.
0: Right, because you know, if you say okay, if Cano doesn't come back, A-Ride is suspended, they re-sign Mark Reynolds. You've got Kelly Johnson to play second, maybe in a platoon with somebody. He can also platoon with Mark Reynolds at third a little bit. Reynolds can play first, which is going to be important because Mark Teixeira is coming back from an injury that cost him 150 of the 162 games last year. So, you know, it may still take him a little while to get into the groove, and Teixeira is a, a notably usually a slow starter, too. So that's going to drive fans nuts, I'm sure, if that happens, but he's going to need some time. Jeter's going to need some time because he missed almost all of, of last year. You know, they, they've got guys now that can do what Lyle Overbay and company did last year and capably fill in for the time being, but also capably fill in in you know August when it's kind of important.
1: And by the way, we haven't even talked about the bullpen yet. I wrote an article uh, yesterday about the uh, non-tendered free agents and, and a few that could be on the Yankees' radar. And I would say, you know, I wrote Daniel Hudson uh, because <clears> – <throat> He, reclamation project. Right, at this point. he would be a reclamation project, kind of like a John Lieber was, yes. um, a few years back. Then you got the options of, of of a Chris Getz, who now that they've signed Kelly Johnson, I think the chances are much more slim. He's a utility infielder infil- who she- might be most notable for the fact that his wife was on the Amazing Race this last season
0: with uh, David DeJesus's wife. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, but I don't watch that. That's that's pretty much the notability of Chris
1: Goetz, I think. I uh, yeah. well uh don't tell i won't tell chris that you said that okay um i would say the most likely free agent that was non-tendered yesterday is john axford Mm -hmm. and what he would do is allow them to have another setup guy that i'm hoping that they'll resign boone logan the eighth inning would turn into boone logan as a bit of a lefty kind of... Right.
0: I mean, he's shown that he can do full... He's shown that he's more than a lefty specialist. Right, but exactly. But he, he has struggled at times, but he I can think, do it.
1: I think they would be smart to have Sean Kelly in the seventh, Boone Logan lefty, John Axford righty, and then David Robertson in the ninth. Now, if David Robertson has, proves that he's a setup guy only, he struggles in the closer role, it's not for him, move John Axford up to the ninth inning. He had forty six saves in 2011. Mm-hmm. With the Milwaukee Brewers.
0: You know, the other thing, too, with that is, you know, he would be a very good fit. One signing that's kind of under the radar, and it was mentioned uh, on Twitter, uh, is that the Yankees apparently re-signed Brian Gordon. He of the two spot starts a couple years ago to a minor league deal. He was the closer at AAA Sacramento last year for the A's. And, you know, he could be a late-inning bullpen option. You never know. I mean, he could be one of those guys that you just kind of find almost on the scrap heap, and he comes in and... He could be a setup man, maybe throw him in the closers role. I mean I'm not saying he's going to be Mariano Rivera, and I'm not saying he's going to be great. But I'm saying he's got a chance to – he's done it at least in A. He's got a chance to maybe make some noise. And uh, we, you know, with that, our, our phone is ringing. We've got some noise. Our guest <laughs> is on the line, so uh, – with us to discuss all of this big Yankees news that has broken in the last couple of days or couple of hours, as it seems, is one of our own Yes Network analysts, Mr. John Flaherty's on the line. John, Lou, and Doug, the Yes Men, thanks for coming on with us.
2: Hey guys, it's a pleasure to be on with the Yes Men. I look forward to it.
0: Well, let's get right to it. and let's start with you know the position you know the most about. The Yankees have themselves a catcher in one Brian McCann, five years, eighty-five million, six-year option for uh, fifteen more. Lefty power hitter uh, in Yankee Stadium. What what do you think he's going to bring to the table?
2: Well, uh, guys, he's going to bring a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, the catching position last year was a a weakness for the Yankees. Uh, You know, I love Chris Stewart and what he brings to the table, but he's more of a backup player. Uh, Romine and J.R. Murphy did a nice job, but they didn't really step forward and say they can handle the, the responsibilities of catching Uh, for the New York Yankees. So this was the guy on the market that everybody wanted, and the Yankees stepped up financially to get it done. Uh, First of all, left-handed power in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you know, would not be surprised if he had 30 home runs. He's got a perfect swing for that place. Uh, But I'm more excited about the personality he brings behind the plate uh, and the leadership abilities and, and, you know, working with a pitching staff. From what you hear, everybody loves throwing to him. And we saw a couple times during the year he has an edge when there are hitters who show up his pitchers. Uh, so all in all, I think it's a, it's a great signing and one that the staff is going to love. I think the fans are going to love. And I think it's really going to change the personality of the ball club uh, only for the better.
1: Flash, I mean, you're a former catcher. And, and do you think that there's a chance that Brian McCann looked at the Yankees, who are coached obviously by Joe Girardi, and he thought – it might be nice to play for a former catcher, a guy who understands what it's like every day to show up to the ballpark, the grind of being a catcher. Do you think that Joe Girardi was part of what brought McCann to New York?
2: Oh, I think there's probably a lot to that, Doug. And, and, you know, you got to get back to Girardi. The Yankees, again, stepping up and bringing him back uh, was a huge asset. And I, I think McCann looked at that, and also Tony Pena on that staff being an all-star catcher. Uh, there's a lot to like there. But, you know, the bottom line, guys, when you are a player – And McCann playing for Atlanta had some opportunities to get to the postseason. But if you're a player of his caliber, you know the Yankees are going to do everything in their power to bring in players around you to compete for a championship every year. Uh, So he knows for the next five, maybe the next six, he's going to be surrounded with a lot of talent, a good pitching staff, and he's going to have opportunities to win a World Series. Now, the only downside to this guy is his throwing is not the best part of his game. Uh, coming off surgery last year was kind of a struggle for him. I actually went through the same surgery that he did, and it takes a good year, year and a half before you're 100%. I think his arm is going to be a lot better this spring than it was last year at any time in Atlanta. So his one downside uh, is probably going to look a little bit better come, come the spring.
0: Well, you know, Jorge Posada, too, that was one of his knocks, was that his uh, he wasn't so great at times behind the plate, but that seemed to work out well, so hopefully – McCann uh, kind of mirrors that but Flash when you and I chatted back in March in spring training we talked about the catching situation and you had mentioned that this was the time for guys like Romine and Murphy to step up and now the Yankees have a guy under contract for the next five possibly six years they have a guy in Gary Sanchez who reached double a this year and it's kind of the future and even when I wrote about it a couple weeks ago I said you know if McCann moves to first base maybe in 2017 when Mark Teixeira is gone and Sanchez comes up there's a possibility for that to coexist. But now if you were a guy like Romine or a guy like Murphy, what is that feeling like now? The Yankees have their guy and your window of opportunity almost kind of seems like it's been slammed
2: shut. Well, it, it's you know, it's not easy. And, you know, I, I think back to when I uh, made it to the big leagues as a backup to Tony Pena and then I uh, was looking for an opportunity to win a job and you know, Boston went out and signed Dave Valley and, you know, Damon Berryhill and all of these guys and as a young player, you're you're demoralized, you're frustrated. Uh, but now having the you know the the ability to look back on my career, if you are good enough to play in the major leagues, they will find a place for you somewhere with the thirty teams, and and that's what J.R. Murphy, Austin Romine, Francisco Cervelli, who I know is out of options. Uh, you know these guys have to realize they they play a premium position that all clubs are looking for. Uh, if not at the big league level, to add some depth in their minor leagues. So they have to realize that if they go out and do their thing in spring training, go out and get off to a good start wherever they, they start the season, there is a premium on catching at the big league level. And if they're good enough, they're going to make it to the big leagues with some club. It's not easy to do when you're a young player. Uh, but eventually they'll, they'll realize the reality that if their game is good enough, you know, they'll, they'll find a place for them to play.
1: Yeah, everyone says the Yankees don't really have any trade pieces, but if you think about it, they have three young catchers that you know, would make a lot of teams happy, especially who are light in the catching department. And Flash, I mean, quickly, let's switch gears to, the, to kind of the story of the day. I guess it was the story of last night predominantly, but the Yankees signed Jacoby Ellsbury. It's really a huge deal, and he's the third most highly paid outfielder in free agent history. Do you think that they overpaid? Do you think he will make a good, great center fielder in New York? What do you think about this deal?
2: I, I think they overpaid. Um, you know, I, I was shocked when I heard it. I was actually at the net game last night with my, <laughs> with one of my sons and his buddies, and uh, the word started spreading around the arena that, you know, this deal was going to go down. And, and I was shocked. And to tell you the truth, uh, I thought they were looking more towards a Beltron who had obviously more power uh, you know, switch hitting ability. So Ellsbury, to me, was a surprise. Now, is he an upgrade? Of course. Uh, is he a good player? Of course. He's going to do a nice job for the next couple of years. But the length of that contract for a guy who, you know, really makes his living with his speed, um, we'll see how that works out at the end of the deal. But he will help the Yankees in the immediate future. I just didn't see him as the power outfielder that they were looking for, corner guy, really to make an impact and you know it affects a lot of things now when I think about it you know where's Brett Gardner stand now is he a trade chip? is he gonna be on this club uh, you know they're very similar players although I will give Ellsbury credit he is very aggressive on the bases and when he gets on base he steals leading the American League last year so you love that part about his game um, and I also think how does Robinson Cano react to this so they paid an awful lot of money to a, a very good outfielder, but not a you know not a, a, a perennial all-star guy. And you wonder if Robinson Cano is maybe feeling a little <laughs> bit slighted here. The Yankees have been saying they're not going to extend their offer much higher, but they gave this kid a lot of money. So a lot of things, there's going to be a lot of fallout from this deal, I guess, and it'll be interesting to follow it.
0: Well, that was one of the things I was going to mention, too, and, and you just did was Robinson Cano. As we were right before taping uh, Mike Francesa on the air, had said the same, pretty much the same thing you did That Now, how do you how do you separate as Robinson Cano? You know, the Yankees are kind of reportedly firm in an offer of 170, 180 million, yet they just gave 153 and possibly 169 based on the option to Jacoby Ellsbury, who had one Robinson Cano esque season a couple years ago, but has been more of the base stealing, defensive kind of guy lately. If you're Robinson Cano now, does this send you the signal that maybe, hey, the Yankees aren't messing around and it kicks your butt in gear? Or is this now where we as Yankee fans have to think we may have seen the last of Robinson Cano?
2: Well, you know, I think, Lou, there's a couple of different ways, if you're Robbie, to think about it. Uh, you know, first first off, you're probably, you know, a little ticked off and, and you feel maybe insulted a little bit or or maybe even lied to I'm you know, not 100% sure about that. But you can also flip it around if you're Robinson Cano and his agents and say, you know, Yankees have a lot more money than they're leading on. If they can give Ellsbury this type of money, there's plenty left in the vault for me. Um, And we'll see where the next round of negotiations go. But the last thing that I would want to see kind of as a, you know, a fan on the outside looking in is for this thing to get personal and Robbie to feel like he's been slighted and kind of go someplace else because he doesn't feel wanted. I mean, we know the Yankees want him as a player. But, uh, you know, I think back to Andy Pettit years ago, and I think it was after the '03 3 season, and the Yankees really didn't show a whole lot of interest, and Andy admitted, you know, he was personally hurt by that, and he ended up going to Houston and obviously having some good years there. But I, I would hope that Robinson and his agents kind of handle this where there's a buffer and his agents say, listen, it's not personal, this is all business, you know, we'll work it out in the end. But I think the player has to feel a little bit slighted in this situation.
1: Flash, are you shocked that Cano would consider going to a place like Seattle? You know, because he talks about the proximity to, you know, being able to fly home to the Dominican and he talks about how much he loves New York, he joins Rock Nation it seems like he has New York written all over him. And now that the rumor is that, you know, the Seattle Mariners are, you know, in play to get him. Would you be shocked if he went to a place like Seattle so far away from all other markets? He'd be going from the number one market in the country, the number 14 one. Do you think that's something that he's thinking about?
2: I I really do not. Um, I would be be 100% shocked if he ended up out there. And, you know, guys, let's think about it from a player's perspective. He's the top free agent on the market. Um, all winter long, you know, all off season, we've heard that there aren't a lot of teams that are interested in Robinson to know it's the Yankees and really nobody else has stepped up. Well, if you're Robinson now and you're his agents, you have another team that is involved. And if I was Robinson, the advice, or if I was his agent, the advice I would give him play this up as much as you can, you know, be public that, Hey, Seattle's a great place. You know, they're up and coming. Let's, you know, this is something I would definitely consider, to kind of drive that price tag up a little bit and you know it's obviously a game of chicken here with uh, with Robinson and the Yankees on who's going to blink first but I, I would play that possibility up as much as I could um, but at the end of the day I would be shocked if he ends up a Seattle Mariner. I think he's going to be a Yankee I think the Yankees will probably step up in their offer and make him a little bit more comfortable and they'll find a middle ground that they can settle on where everybody can kind of save face a little bit and and say, you know what, we didn't go over the $200 million, and if you're Robinson, you can say, I got the best, market, best price out there, and I was able to sustain New York. So that's how I see it playing out. I'd be shocked if it doesn't work out that way. And
0: with that, you know, if, if Cano doesn't come back now, the Yankees have uh, reportedly signed uh, or agreed to a deal with Kelly Johnson for one year, who mostly second base, played a little third, played a lot of left in the last year for the Tampa Bay Rays. They have Brendan Ryan under contract. Nunez is always kicking around. Who knows what's going to happen with A-Rod. If they decide Cano isn't coming back or, you know, if, if they decide not to resign him, if Cano goes elsewhere, takes more money, whatever have you, if he's not in pinstripes next year, do the Yankees now – do they still – do you think they still need to go out and maybe get someone to fill that void? Or with Johnson and Nunez in the in-house, do you think they've got enough with the lineup around it that, that it'll it will soften the blow a little bit and they won't have to go break the bank, so to speak, to go get another second baseman?
2: Well, you know what, I like Kelly Johnson for, I think, what the role he is going to be is, you know, a bat off the bench and, like you mentioned, the different positions that he can play. I don't see him as an everyday second baseman. So I think they have to kind of go out and find somebody. And, you know, Omar Infante's name has been out there. Uh, Phillips from Cincinnati seems to be available. But, you know, you start thinking about if the Yankees can pull off some sort of a trade. You know, we, we talked earlier about Brett Gardner might be a piece now that can command, you know, a premium player coming back. Eduardo Nunez, kind of the same thing. He might be a piece in all of this to, to get a player. But, you know, we haven't even talked about the, the pitching side of the game yet and, you know, there's still some holes in that rotation. And I, I'd almost rather see the Yankees try to move Gardner or, or Nunez in a package for, for a pitcher out there. I don't know who that would be, but I, I'd like to see them get another starter, you know, middle of the rotation guy to solidify that rotation.
1: Well, Flash, thank you so much for coming on uh, on our podcast today. We look forward to hearing from you in the future. And um, let's, let's look for some more moves this offseason for the Yankees. Looks like it's going to keep on coming.
2: It looks like it's going to get exciting. With the winter meetings coming up, it might heat up a little bit more. So I enjoyed my time with you guys. Have a good day.
0: Thanks, Flash. You too. And once again, that was uh, John Flaherty, one of, one of our own. We, we like to keep it in the family with our yes-men as well. Uh, He's one of the best. He is one of the best in the biz. And, you know, John kind of uh, – Summed it all up, I think, with all the possible scenarios with Cano, without Cano, the trade situation we talked about earlier. One thing he did mention that we do want to mention a little bit of – we're actually running low on time, shockingly. But um, he was at the Nets game last night, and when he told me that, I kind of said to him, I was like, well, I I hope you left early and tried to beat the traffic because it is not – it is just not going well in Brooklyn right now. We can't even mince words. It's just, it's just not going well at all. They're five oh and eleven. Boy. Is that their record now? I mean, it's bad.
1: It's bad. Five
0: and thirteen, even worse. It's. This is not just a small sample size anymore. This is now like we're about a quarter of the way through the season here, and this is just not, not what anyone
1: expected. I don't know how many times we're going to have to learn that you just can't predict sports. You're going to end up looking silly. And and New York fans, I remember I've listened to every radio show. I listened. To, I you know I had so many conversations. New York basketball. This is the year, and it's just been really sad because the the top stories in the NBA this year are about underachieving teams, and yeah. that's no fun.
0: And well, the Pacers actually lost again. So I mean, they're now sixteen and two.
1: <laughs> well, then, then that's On the pace thing. For seventy-five, but team. that's the thing. Lou, is anybody actually talking really about the Pacers and the Heat?
0: No, nor are they talking about the Heat, who are right there. You know, the number two seed. But there's three teams in the in the Eastern Conference that are above or at five hundred. And we, we we talked about this last week. It's just it's it's a it's a big giant. It's the Springfield tire fire in the Eastern Conference right now. It's everyone can see it and nobody can look away from it. But it's just.
1: And by the way, I think the big news uh, that we would be talking about if the Yankees had not signed Jacoby Ellsbury yesterday would be the Lawrence Frank decision by Jason Kidd to leave him off the bench. And it seems as if there's some friction between the two. You know, I the first when I first heard this story, I think I what I initially said was this makes sense to me because Jason Kidd must be hearing everyone saying he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's never done this before. He he looks like he's lost on the bench. He just sits there. And I think part of why that might have gotten frustrating for him was because people also said, Lawrence Frank's doing all the coaching. And I think Jason Kidd, in part, wants to prove to himself and prove to everyone out there, listen, I can coach. And we haven't seen if that's true yet, but I think he wanted to go out there and say, I can do this on my own. I don't need Lawrence Frank there Next to me on the bench, I can control this team.
0: Yeah, and you know, based on his record the year he got fired from the Nets and his record the last couple of years in Detroit, people might not say Lawrence Frank knows how to coach either, to be realistic, although his roster on all three of those teams was pretty decimated. And and you know, we're we're gonna be at Barkley Center tomorrow night, Thursday night for the, the Nets Knicks first go round this year. The two teams are a combined eight and twenty six. I mean, it's not exactly a marquee matchup in anything other than name.
1: it's a hugely important game. But it's a hugely important game because – The difference between a marquee matchup and a –
0: Yeah. I mean the Knicks have lost nine in a row and are in a free fall that even Tom Petty can't get them out of. And the the Nets are – you know, they they won the other day. But really that was kind of a band-aid on a bullet wound almost it seems in terms of losing streaks. This is a huge game. And one of the things – we're going to be doing a live video podcast, semi-live. We'll be taping it and then airing it on YesNetwork.com during the day. One of the things I'll go into more depth about there is you say you can say. Sneak peek. Yeah, sneak peek. You can say Jason Kidd doesn't know how to coach. He's never coached. And, you know, to be fair, when it comes to athletic coaching, yes, technically, I have more experience than Jason Kidd coaching athletics based on the fact that I've run a softball team for five years. Okay? So that's one sense of the word. But Jason Kidd was a smart player. He's a smart guy. He knows what's going on. The true mark of where you need a good coach is is in a situation like now, where last night, Tyshawn Taylor, who was probably the 13th man on the depth chart when the season started, was the starting point guard for that team. Allen Anderson, who was no higher than 11th, and anywhere on that third tier, depending on who you ask, he was the starting shooting guard, small forward. Him and Joe Johnson were the 2-3. This is where you make the measure of a coach. This is where someone like and I'm just going to throw out names here, someone like a Phil Jackson, someone like a Tom Thibodeau, someone like a Greg Popovich, some of these great long-time great coaches can take this team and make some semblance of chemistry out of it, whereas with Jason Kidd, he doesn't have that experience to draw on, so he may not necessarily know how to make the right moves because he's not focusing on What can Tyshawn Taylor do for me? What can Alan Anderson do for me? And Allen Anderson is like the sixth leading scorer on the team right now. He averages more points a game than Kevin Garnett, which is ridiculous. But he might not have that mental thought process of just, how can I make what I've got meld? I mean, you saw what Avery Johnson did a couple years ago when the Nets were decimated by injuries with eight guys, pulling guys off the D-League. He at least made them look coherent. Kid may not... You know, he was brought in to coach a roster full of veterans and superstars with a small window. Right. And this is now where we're going to find out the medal of what kind of coach Jason Kidd will make when it comes to turning this, what's now become a ragtag group of reserves, into trying to be a winning basketball team. Yeah,
1: player. people that think that he doesn't know anything about basketball, that I mean, that's wrong. That's ridiculous. So, I, And I don't know if there are people that think that, but there's a difference between not knowing anything about the sport and not knowing how to coach yet, yeah. And I, and you know, what's equally ridiculous is anybody who thought that this was going to be easy at the beginning of the season, and and people who didn't factor the fact that he's never coached before into you know their chances to compete. So you know, Lou and I, as Lou said, we're doing this uh, video podcast from the arena tomorrow. We we hope you guys watch, um, and we'll be talking more about this. And and again, there is that distinction between a an incredibly important game. And a game between two good teams. This is one of them. Whether or not these teams end up any good and end up in the playoffs, this game is desperately needed by both teams. Yeah. Whichever team loses this is going to be demoralized.
0: They're they're technically the worst of the worst. Whoever whichever team loses this, I mean, there's no two ways about it. That's what the numbers say. Yeah, this so. team is the worst of the worst. And if you know the Nets win, they're right there. I mean, they're only a couple of games out of the playoffs right now. That's that's how bad the Eastern Conference is on the whole. But we'll we'll get more in depth into that tomorrow. But like I said, you know, there's more to coaching than just making a lineup and kind of watching and letting guys do their thing. And I said at the beginning of the year that this Jason Kidd thing was either going to be a great trailblazing kind of move, like Brad Osmus and Mike Matheny and Mike Redmond to an extent in the majors, or this is going to be a gigantic disaster. Right now it's sort of leaning towards the latter. There's plenty of time to, to to make it go towards the former. But I think now with everything that's going on, we'll at least see that Jason Kidd's gonna learn something about his medal as a head coach, whether that stint lasts another twenty four hours or another twenty four years.
1: There's plenty of time left, but plenty of time has gone by. That's true.
0: It's a, kind of a the sands of time or yeah. a fickle friend. With that, our sands of time uh, are trickling Ah, to an end. I love that. Yeah, how about that? It's like sends through the hourglass. That's why they
1: pay you their big bucks. That's right.
0: Our time is coming to an end. We will be uh, quasi-live at the Barclays Center tomorrow for a little pregame Nets-Knicks. And then we'll be back next week with another edition of the Yes Men. We didn't even get into many of the other stories that happened this week, including Mike Tomlin's shenanigans. There's too much. The refs kind of losing track of geography on Sunday night in the Giants game, but... We'll be back to all that next week. Maybe the Yankees will help us out and uh, not sign three huge pieces.
1: <laughs> give, us, yeah, uh, give, give, us little, give us a little Give us a little time cushion.
0: to talk about other stuff. But until tomorrow night and then again until next week, I am Lou DePietro. To my left is Doug Williams. We are the Yes Men. We thank you for listening. If you're doing so on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, until we see you again,
1: we'll be seeing you. And we'll see you tomorrow.